for joining us for When I Grow Up. On this week's episode, I have an air traffic control specialist. It's a job that I don't normally think of, but I'm excited to um, hear Jay Hyun's story today and um, yes, and just to hear how he even got into this profession and what it's like to be an air traffic control specialist. Um, so I want to welcome Jay Hyun. Hi, Jay. Hey, what's up, Blair? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Um, so I know Jay from college. Um, we've lost touch for quite some time. I didn't even know you were an air traffic control specialist, honestly. I don't think a lot of people do. I think um, what I remember about you from college is that you're really a good um, musician. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I mean, we're, you're, how old are you? Wow. Uh, I am 36. That's super 36. Young. Yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. I had to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, yes, I'm in my 30s too. Put me in the spot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you, so Jay's older than me. And so in college, we didn't really know each other too well, but through social media, I knew that you were pursuing this career. But for me, from where I stood, it was kind of out of the blue, honestly. Yes, yes, but, um, it was out of the blue for me. <laughs> so, um, Jay, can you tell us what is an air traffic control specialist? Yeah, um, so an air traffic controller, um, I think a lot of people first would think of like the dude with wearing a vest with the orange glow stick. Yeah. <laughs> like they come into the gate. It's actually not that. Um, well, air traffic control, the most important thing is is safety, first mm. and foremost, on the job. Because we're directing traffic in and out of an airport, uh, through our airspace. And during that time, we're guiding airplanes, telling them how to and when to land, when to take off, and go on to the destination, basically. So you're sitting in that tower that we see from the yeah. airport? So our facility, so I'm in El Paso, Texas. Uh-huh. I work at the airport there. And we have both facilities. So we have a tower, which is separate from the terminal. Okay. It's about 10 stories high so that we can have like a bird's eye view of the whole airport. Okay. So we can see every, every inch of the airport so we can see, have a full view of their uh, aircraft. And we also have a radar facility within the building, which is on the bottom floor. Mm. So, so uh-huh. yeah, so we have the, well, we have the luxury of both working both. So the radar facility is more responsible for the immediate uh, surroundings of the airport. Okay. Spending about 55 miles. And then the tower is responsible for the immediate airport, about five to 10 miles in diameter around the airport. So they're, um, so it's like different responsibilities. As far as like the aircrafts coming in and out, right? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, just talk to me like I know nothing because I don't. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Um, okay, so I mean, what is your work schedule like? Do you go in every day or? So yeah, the job itself is 24-7 operational. So there's people right. working midnight shifts. And I think this is probably one of the downfalls of the job is we do shift work, which is we have to work around the clock. So we divide it all up. So I work five days a week, eight hours. And I start off the two days, the first two days working afternoon shift. Mm -hmm. And then the next two days is a morning shift. And then followed by a midnight shift. So so that's a typical shift. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that that's probably the worst part of it. I would say, but yeah. Um, so, but you do get days off in between? Oh, yeah, yeah. So okay. we still work five days and then two days off. Okay. Um, That's typical. So I, I have to ask you, um, like, what I do know about air traffic control is like just what the media tells me. Yeah. And um I mean I remember I don't know like 2015 
maybe earlier, like there was like controversy about just air traffic controllers being fatigued. Is that like, is there some truth in that or? Yeah, you have to be, you have to make sure you work around a schedule where you're getting adequate sleep. So that's very important uh-huh. part of the job. Mm-hmm. So making sure you're well rested. And I mean, surprisingly, you do get used to the work mm-hmm. and the shifts mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I don't have to do graveyard shifts. Okay. Because actually good. people do like those shifts. And so I've actually managed to give it to somebody else that likes working them. Oh, for me. Okay. So instead of an, another midnight shift, I would just work another morning shift okay. to cover for them. So, yeah. Oh, man. But that is, yeah, that is a problem. And we actually do have excused absence if we do say, uh, like, I can't do it today. Okay. Because I mean, yeah, because these are people's lives, I guess. Yes. <laughs> there are severe consequences yes. if you can't do your job, yes. Yes. Um, I mean, with this uh, schedule like that, like, um, so you do have a family, right? You have yeah. two really cute kids and a wife at home. Um, has that ever been a struggle, like just balancing the job and family life? Um, yeah, I definitely think so because, because we work around the clock and so we bid our days off. Mm-hmm. So for me, my weekends, luckily, I got lucky this time. My weekends are considered Sunday and Monday. Those are my days off. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I got lucky with that. Usually it goes by seniority, and I'm right around the middle of our facility. Um, But last year, I had a Wednesday-Thursday weekend. So I would work from Friday through Tuesday. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) My weekends are Wednesday-Thursday. So that is, yeah, like I said, shift work is probably like, the downside yeah yeah the downside of the job yeah um cat yeah cat didn't like it at first but i think right now it works out for us because of our kids we have a five and a two-year-old uh-huh so like they're flexible enough they just go to daycare that's and true so my yeah. weekends work out yeah but when they when they do grow up and they have like more activities on the weekend mm. that'll be more challenging i'm sure yeah hopefully i have enough seniority by then how long have you been doing this now? I have been doing it for four years. So I got, yeah, picked up in 2016, 2016 at March. I reported my first day in March. It's been a little over four years now. Oh, man. So what, okay, so what thing? one thing I wanted to ask, because like for me, I think of air traffic control, like they're sitting you know, in front of a screen and they're like, you know, telling pilots like where to go and stuff like that. I only, Mm -hmm. look, I only know this because my son is obsessed with the movie, Disney movie Planes. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, they're like telling the main plane character, Dusty, like where to go and, and like their other planes are getting mad because he doesn't know where to go because he's just a crop duster. Sorry, this is a conversation. I intended it to, but you get what I'm saying? But anyway, yes. um, so are you like, yeah, what does it look like just being there and doing the job itself? Like you have to communicate with pilots, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, then- yeah, essentially the pilots are trusting us to guide them and direct them. So I guess the FAA kind of puts it like, the uh, air traffic controllers are responsible for a safe, orderly, and expeditious flow of air traffic. Okay. So managing the whole U.S. airspace. And so that requires us to communicate with the pilots. Okay, we need you here. Um, sometimes we need them uh, at a certain place by a certain time. Uh-huh. Or sometimes it's just aircraft will coming from four corners of your airspace. So there's radar, right? And if you're looking at your radar screen, so you have planes calling coming in from four different corners but we also have airplanes departing so you're trying to basically first and foremost safety making sure those airplanes don't get close but then also ensuring that there's minimum delays coming in and out of the airport so So the planes can't see each other 
the planes, I mean, so they can, but it's difficult. It's a big sky, right? right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And they're big, I, I, big vessels too. It's not like they yeah. have to like time yeah. everything correctly, I guess. Yeah. So like you have to think about it. Like uh, they're traveling anywhere from 200 to 600 knots miles per hour in the uh -huh. sky. Uh -huh. So if two airplanes are going head on, their closure rate will be 1200 miles per hour, right? Oh my gosh. So like we have the bigger picture. We basically have a bird's eye view of everybody coming in and out of our airspace. Okay. So we have to come up with a plan. Okay. And for have the four, be able to foresee what could possibly be a conflict versus if I take him this way, there won't be any conflict. So, oh yeah, it, it's all instantaneous, too. And, of course, not everybody's perfect, but good job. I think that's why it is stressful. Because you have yeah, to think that's stressful? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> and you think of it as, like, kind of like an assembly line. Like, our work is kind of, like, uh, broken up. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. so okay. Okay. So it's first. like you do your job and then the next person. Yeah. And okay. so you have to all be a pretty well-oiled machine. So okay. like the tower has like four different positions mm -hmm. and it's kind of like an assembly line. Pilot will call up the first controller. Uh-huh. Which that controller in the beginning will give them their clearance, basically okay. their flight plan. Uh -huh. So this is how you're going to fly from LA to Atlanta. Okay. So this is your route. Okay. And so once that guy gets it, He'll go to the next guy. So that guy will talk to his, the next controller, which is the ground controller. Uh -huh. And the ground controller is responsible for taxiing the aircraft from the gate to the runway. Okay. Uh -huh. So it's like a puzzle. It starts to become a puzzle at that point because you have to figure out how are all these aircraft going to taxi the runway and in which order and who first. Okay. So after the ground yeah. controller, who's next? So the next controller is called a local controller, which is responsible for departing and landing all the aircraft okay. and figuring out the order for that too. Okay. So because like, based on like, of course, Atlanta, that's probably like the busiest mm -hmm. airport known and it's, it's a whole nother beast, but you know, like everybody has a critical release time too sometimes, mm -hmm. so they have to leave at a certain time. And so it's kind of like, yeah, you have to figure out, you're constantly problem solving on the job, trying to figure out, okay, this guy has to go first, so make it happen. So they'll try to find a way to fit him in into the assembly line and then get going. So after the local controller departs the aircraft, uh -huh. from then on, it's the radar controller's responsibility to get that aircraft and to get them safely to the next destination. So they basically pass them off. So, like, for us, we have 55 miles around the airport mm -hmm. and up to one seven seventeen thousand feet. So, before they get to that spot, we hand them off to the next sector, which is another facility in Albuquerque. Okay. So, it's, it's kind of like an assembly line, like I okay. said. And I guess the part that is difficult is, all right, if this isn't working, if there's no, like, machine to say stop or pause. Right. His aircraft can only go forward. We can't even go backwards, you know? Right. So, like, if something's wrong along the assembly line, okay, <sighs> you just have to figure out a way to fix that while things are still moving. So do you enjoy that, like, the problem-solving part of it? I I do. I think, well, if I went to Atlanta, that might be a different story. They <laughs> <laughs> have this insane amount of volume. Um but I think, like I said, like the, the order and I guess the goal of the FAA specifically says safe, orderly, and expeditious. And I think there's an opportunity for you to do that every day, mm. multiple times. Mm -hmm. Because it's so specific, I think you get those little victories. Okay, that was a good, well job done. Like, yeah. So you kind of pat yourself on the back. All right, nobody, nobody was in harm's way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're good to go. And I think that very gratifying mm. i think and if you do have a bad day where oh i probably could have made that easier on myself you have another opportunity 
to have a good session too. Right. Wait, so, so what would a bad day look like for you and like specifically? A bad day. All right. Um, so radar is probably more busy for us because we're just dealing with more airspace mm-hmm. and dealing with a lot more aircraft. So probably just be like, if you have a sequence of anywhere from four to eight planes, mm-hmm. like, and you're, you're ba- it's basically up to your judgment and your decision making to make that work as efficiently as possible. Right. And a lot of times, like, they're just, you learn, kind of, they give you techniques and ways to figure out, okay, this guy should probably first and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. But a lot of times, the plans don't really go as <laughs> that's what you're expecting, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes pilots, will do something else than what you have instructed because there's obviously communication errors. Like I could have said something, but they could have heard it a different way. I could have said turn right and they accidentally hear it turn left. Oh my gosh. And so like if one person in the eight does something you weren't expecting, it's your job to hurry up and catch it and then get it to work again. So it's, it, yeah. So a bad day would be, when your plan doesn't go go as you expected. Okay, yeah. And you're just having a difficult time to recover. So that that's kind of a bad day. Like, but it could be, that's anybody's bad day, right? Like, right, I guess. But it just seems a lot different <laughs> since you're dealing with aircrafts filled with people. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So like I said, when it comes to that, okay, I just have to keep it safe. Sure, yeah. This isn't yeah. working out. Yeah. Hey, my plan isn't going to, okay, I'm going to keep it safe. Some people have a slight delay, but I'd rather have them safe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming you're trained in all of this. Yes. Like you're prepared for the, these kinds of moments, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm, before I like ask you more questions, I am curious to know, um, you didn't study any like study this in college, right? No, I did not. So, what did you? Where did you go to college, and what did you study there? And then, how did you even come to this like trajectory in your life to get okay. far? Like, that's so crazy. Okay, so yeah. Yes. All right. So I graduated from Long Beach State. Mm-hmm. I did liberal arts, which is Asian studies and Asian American studies. Okay. Originally did it probably uh, just to graduate. Okay, I was gonna <laughs> ask you was, why why that. <laughs> but. Yeah, well, I think I was kind of dabbling into missionary mm. work. I was interested in, and I had gone to China for a year for stint, which That's is right. a short term mission program with Campus Crusade. Mm-hmm. And so that that I I was interested in it. I was learning Chinese overseas there and then I brought it back here and I was trying to continue to learn and I needed to graduate I was like all right I just need to do this (laughs) um and yeah of course we graduated during the recession which was in 2008 and I graduated in 2009 and the job market was bleak I had friends getting laid off Mm -hmm. everybody was having a difficult time I had graduated and all I had to show for it was a piece of paper and about $20,000 in debt. Yeah. And um, right before I graduated, I there was a career fair at Long Beach. And I had gotten a chance to speak to somebody from the FAA. The FAA had come. And I was speaking briefly with the guy and he was like, hey, you should look into air traffic control. Or looking for people. I was like, all right. And then I took his card and I was like, I'll look into it. And I looked at some other positions, like jobs, like FBI, CIA. I think I was going more towards like government work if I didn't uh-huh, pursue uh-huh. missionary work because uh, my friend was working in government work and they had, it seemed good for family life, mm. like a good work balance. So I was like, all right. Um, and so I, come to graduate and I was lost like I think a lot of people are just come to a point where they're paralyzed 
mm. by indecision, you know, like, mm. what do I do? So like you said, like I was looking into music, possibly ministry and missionary work, maybe teaching overseas. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of like the obvious ones. I think people are kind of assuming that wouldn't be too much of a curveball for me to go into. And I was, you know, struggling with, well, which path should I take? If I do this, this will happen. But what if I'm not good at this? And I remember talking to my dad in the car and he's like, I was venting at him. I was like, I don't know what to do. I got my college degree. That's mm -hmm. all I really had set. I was like, all right, I guess the next part will figure out itself. But I think with the circumstances that I was going through, my dad, of course, a man of few words, gives me, rather than give me a straight answer, he's like, he literally told me, he like looked at me in the car, he's like, what do you think is easy? Like, when you turn off your car and you try to turn your steering wheel, is it easy? So like, where is he going with this? <laughs> like, okay. What are you trying to say? Is he not listening to me? I'm like, um, it's obviously hard. And then he's like, all right. Well, how about if you turn on your ignition and start going forward, can you turn your wheel easier? He's like, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And so he's like, and he was basically telling me, sometimes you just got to move forward. You got to make a decision. Mm. And when you make that decision and you start going forward, you could turn to the left if it's not right. You can turn to the right if you don't if you're not going the right way. And he's basically saying, You'll never know what to do if you don't unless you go forward. Like Wow. I guess that's true. It was like <laughs> like I I see where he's going now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's I was like, okay. Wise. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Definitely. I was like, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh my God. Where's he going with this? <laughs> and so I think from that, I was like, okay, that's true. Like, what am I going to do? Worried about if I'm not making the right choice. Mm. I, there's only one way of figuring out if I am doing the right thing or making the right decision. And that was to go forward. So um, from then, I kind of researched like the Music Institute in Hollywood for a bit to look into music producing. Oh, wow. That's cool. I was looking into KCCC, uh -huh. possibly. I was talking to some people about that. KCCC, and then I remember, Korea Campus Crusade. Yeah, Korea Campus Crusade. For people correct, that don't know, the para-ministry yeah. on campus. Yeah. And so, and then I looked at Barry Traffic and Scholar. And I did my Google research. I was looking into, I was talking to people. I didn't know anybody in air traffic, like a lot of people don't. So I had to rely on Google. Uh, I think the first thing that caught my eye was honestly, it, it was in the list of highest paid jobs without a, with just a high school diploma. Oh, wow. So you can make six figures, yeah. You're able to make six figures with just a high school diploma if you get hired. And so that really? was appealing. Wow. Yeah. And so the second appealing thing was that it was a government job, mm -hmm. which I was looking into. And yeah, job security. So that was government job, job security. So those are things that kind of fell into it. So I was kind of going back and forth with those three things. And I found a route to be able to pursue a traffic controller, which didn't require me much money to spend or mm -hmm. go into more student loan debt. And it was more, it was feasible compared to the other ones. And so, yeah, that's how I started. Um, so I enrolled myself into a, a collegiate training initiative program, which is sponsored by the FA. Okay. So I'll send you a link. I'll yeah, send you a link do. regarding that. So there's about, I think, 37 colleges that have a CTI program, which trains air traffic controllers. Um, so you could do like a two-year AA degree or you can do a bachelor's. Okay. And so for me, I already had a bachelor's degree, so I just had to go for one year to fill, fulfill all my requirements. Oh, okay. At Mount Sac College in Southern California. Okay. Yeah, and so I did that, but... Just because I did it didn't guarantee me anything. I mean, I might get another, a few bonus points on uh -huh. my application, uh -huh. but it was, yeah, it was 
just something to put on my resume when I hired, got hired. So wait, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't think I understand what you're saying. Okay. So by going to Mount Sac and taking that year, you're saying it wasn't well, or it I don't... was for me. Well, when I looked into it, did the research, uh-huh. yes, it, it it was beneficial, but of course, I fell into like a bad. The timing wasn't good for me because this is a federal job and the FA needs funding in order to hire people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And typically, the FA hi- does two hiring bids a year. Uh... And one is for one is for the CTI grads off the street and basically people with experience. Okay. So those are the three that can apply. Okay. Once every year. Okay. Second one that they put out is usually for people with experience, which is basically exclusive to military people. I see. So those are the three routes you can take. Okay. There are some people that are able are able to get hired directly, uh-huh, like uh-huh. without any CTI or military. How so how would they get hired? So they had that hiring initiative where. I think the most difficult thing about the FAA that has trouble with is retaining or uh, um, for people to be successful controllers. Like I think they were having difficulty with people being successful Uh at the job uh that they're like, well, we don't really know what makes a good controller. I see. Still to this day, they're still studying what researching Mm. What makes a good controller? And so I think that's part of their initiative. Well, well, you can only find out one way. So they do hire people directly from off the street. But so CTI does is beneficial and does raise your chances of getting hired. But there are also opportunities to get hired without the CTI degree. What's a C- so that, What does CTI stand for? So it's Collegiate Training Initiative. Okay. It's an FA-sponsored program. Okay. And there's about, like I said, about, I think there's like 37 schools that are officially sponsored. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Mount Sac, luckily there is one school in Southern California that I did my research on and that's how I enrolled. I see. So, okay. So after you graduated with uh, a year of that collegiate training. Yes. Um then what happens? So, uh, so that was the other problem. Yeah. So the because it's a federal agency, the FAA is you apply through USAJobs.gov. That's where all job federal job postings uh, all occur. So every hiring bid is specifically and exclusively on that. Okay. And so you kind of have to be. Yeah, and I can tell you whenever the next hiring bid comes up so you can post it or share it. And I usually do post it and share it whenever it comes up. Uh-huh. But you have to stay pretty much informed. And not only that, they only leave it open for a certain period. I think the the amount of people that apply, are, it's, it's an insane number. Oh, man. And so they keep it open for only a limited number of applicants. It's an insane so, number? A lot of people want to be in air traffic control? I think they're very... Appealed by the pay. I see. You're right. Yes. Who <laughs> it is a stressful job, but then I think as a government employee, it is a actually pretty well-paying job. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so, so after I went to school, I think I finished that program in 2010, 2010, and it took me five to six years to actually get picked up. And that's how difficult it was. To get picked Five up to from six that years? Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I was actually just like your friend. I was like, Shh, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, like, <gasps> just started working in the private sector. Oh. Um, and I didn't know whether it was going to happen or not. Wait, the private sector? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, I just started working in for companies. Oh, so, like, okay, I okay. had, I yeah, different jobs. Okay. Until you yeah. got hired. Yes. So until I got hired, I I couldn't just wait for five, six years. Like I had to live my life. <laughs> I had to figure out how I was gonna pay the bills. And like I said, it's it's extremely competitive. There's 
I think that they put up that there's 14,000 controllers nationwide. So it's a really small number of people that do this job. That's crazy. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, once you get hired, is there – there's more training, right? Yes. Training is another downside of the job, but very necessary because it is stressful. Um, so once you do get hired, they'll send you a temporary offer letter saying, okay, we're going to offer you the job. And I applied during that five, six year span, they maybe had three hiring bids and I applied to all three. Oh my and, goodness. I'm like yeah. shocked. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it, it is. It's, it's very difficult to get into. I guess I'm just shocked that like you had a plan and then you had to wait. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. Anyways. Okay. Yes. And yeah. then the training. So, Tell me about the training a little bit. Yeah. And so they sent me that letter out of the blue. I got a voicemail from somebody. <laughs> and this is when I was working at, I was working at KBS, I think. Okay. I was working at KBS like America. Television? Working at, yes. Okay. For the station in LA as like a marketing account manager. And I get this random call. I don't, of course, I don't pick up because I don't recognize the phone number. And then I get the phone call and I was like, I couldn't believe like I was hearing that I just got picked up. Right. <laughs> but then also what settled in was fear. <laughs> it was like uncertainty. I was like, yeah. because at that point I already had Gideon, which was, who was probably barely three to four months when I got that phone call. Uh-huh. Your first we had, yeah. Yes. And we had just bought a house in LA and I was slowly starting to get established at my work too. Oh. And so it was like, everything was kind of comfortable at that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it was like, I probably didn't need that phone call at that point. And so of course it was like a huge decision. Not only that, if I take the job, I'd first have to quit my job and then leave my family for three to four months. And then that didn't guarantee me a job either. I'd have to perform there mm. in order to get a job. And so it was it was a really big decision for myself and Kat. And yeah, I'd have to give credit to Kat because she was the one that told me to pursue after it. I was like, really? <laughs> like, she's like the last person that I would expect to want to leave LA. Like, yeah. And that was the other thing. Even if I did get a job, we'd be yeah we'd have to relocate was a very high possibility and yeah I was I was lost I wasn't sure what to do I was comfortable at my job and comfortable where we were and so but yeah like I said Kat was the one who flat out told me you should probably pursue it we were praying about it like it was probably a prayer that was just happening like it's just like one of those things. Thank you for this meal. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys. It was kind of like that. Yeah. If we if this happens, so she did mention she was like, "Well, we've been praying for it, and you wanted to do this, so I think you should probably do it. I think this is maybe a sign from God." I was like, "Yeah, this is going to require a lot of faith. Like, I'd have to be able to do this, quit my job, like I said, leave my family, and go for it." That's insane. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I credit Kat. I was really not even thinking. I was thinking about not doing it. And I spoke to my pastor. My pastor was like, "Just stay here. <laughs> you wanted me to stay, stay in LA." But, yeah. Um, so yeah. So we decided to do it. And. So once you accept the offer, you get a class date to go to Oklahoma City, which I was talking about, which I'm required to leave, stay there for about three to four months, learning everything about airplanes, learning everything about the rules, learning a new, whole new language, because there's a standardized uh, way of communicating with the pilot, so there's no confusion. Right. Yeah, because there can't be any confusion with what you're trying to tell them to do. And so, yeah, like, it was do or die for me. So I had a, a, a really good friends that I keep in touch till to this day at the academy. 
where we did group studies every night mm-hmm. where like they had the same mentality as me because a lot of them had to leave their profession quit their jobs too and then try to pursue after this mm. and so yeah there's a lot of pressure on us I think everybody that was over there and I was lucky enough to have a really good class mm-hmm. which all had the same mindset we studied together on the weekends the whole class it was a class of 18 we'd had really good instructors which I've heard a lot of people not have mm. and so yeah everything really worked out and those three months come to an end with your evaluation test you work on simulators and the last three days they evaluate you on how you learn how how you grasp the rules and how you're able to apply them with actual simulator aircraft so you're talking to a computer and trying to work an airport so like um on those simulators and the tests that they give you and the evaluation do they like you know make it difficult Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. (laughs) So the job, yeah, like I said, the FA invests so much money into these trainees. And then even after the academy, you go to your facility, but people don't make it, you know. Mm. So their job is to eliminate people as soon as possible. If this person doesn't seem like they can do it. All right. We're, We're trying not to spend that much. We're trying to spend that much less money on people. So the the test starts off, actually the point system starts with you starting at 100 points Mm -hmm. and you get... uh, Docked points? Yeah, you get docked for every mistake you make. And the highest highest mistake you can make is a 16 point. And they just continue to, yeah. So it is like extremely stressful. My roommate out there, before his evaluations, I remember him throwing up. Yeah, I want to throw up just thinking about... (laughs) <laughs> yeah like people cry like if they don't do well like it's super intense and then if you do fail the test they escort you out in front of everybody so you get like through the walk of shame walking through like a oh, bunch of people crying. <laughs> yeah God. and that's yeah it's super stressful i think they need to make a reality show i doubt they will but it, it's it's so yeah. like can I ask you, like, yes, did you get docked points? Of course. Of <laughs> like, course. So what is, like, the failing grade? Like, what is... Oh, you need to pass with, I believe, a 70%. Oh, that's still really high. But, like, yeah. I feel... I yeah, feel like... like you said, like I said, you can get docked 16 points in one instance. Oh, my God. And if you don't, like, so they call one of the evaluators called Nickel and Dime. Because he'll just stalk you for whatever uh, little mistake. Yeah, and so you have to, sometimes you have to fight for your points. There's people that did that too. We're like, I don't think you rightfully stalked me for these points. Oh, so they man. also go back and do that. But yeah, and I remember my last test. I think I needed like a 60 or higher uh-huh. on my last test. And of course, I'm just like antsy. I need to do well. And I remember seeing this text from Kat. She's like, she texted me saying, we're proud of you no matter what. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I, was like, I was like trying to fight back the tears right before I go into this evaluation. And yeah, obviously I passed because I have the job. But I remember working across from a person. So you go in as a group, like a team, like I said, assembly line. So I'm working ground, which is a person taxiing aircraft from the gate to the runway. Uh-huh. And I'm working across from another person who's working local, which is departing and arriving aircraft and being in control of the immediate vicinity of the airport. And that person failed. Like, I was working across somebody that was failing, like, miserably they want negative points oh my god and i'm here working trying to make sure <laughs> that that i manage to keep it sane because this person is just like freaking out i'm sure yes losing it at that point and oh so it's like gosh. I... so yeah so that whole experience was very <laughs> but but 
hearing it is like really reassuring for me as somebody that like I don't really travel well but like it's good to know you know that the people directing the aircraft that I'm in have really solid training so I'm I'm very (laughs) thankful um so like you know you I'm I'm curious like so your first day on the job like was it nerve-wracking or (laughs) Yes, of course. It never stops until you until you get fully certified. Which on average, once you finally get to your airport, assigned to airport, it takes an average of eighteen eighteen months to twenty four months to get fully certified. Oh, okay. So do you have somebody like kind of watching you before then? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So you're doing on the job training. So then after you pass the academy from Oklahoma City. Like I said, um, you get assigned a facility to go to, which my case is El Paso, Texas. And, of course, I knew nothing about El Paso. Like, I literally watched Sicario the weekend (laughs) before I was supposed to go. And then Sicario, they have a scene of El Paso where they're on the rooftop and they see bullets. I remember it, yeah. Yes. So, like, to reassure myself, I had to Google El Paso and how safe it was. And surprisingly, it's, like, one of the safest cities in america which oh. a lot of people don't think yeah yeah i would i so, i mean i don't have any thoughts about el paso yeah, if i'm honest exactly i didn't even know where but... it was i had to google where it was <laughs> um and so yeah so i went there first day of work i get there i meet the manager who's in charge of the whole facility mm-hmm. meet everybody there but honestly it's 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 a mix of emotions like anything else with this job it's like excitement being nervous Mm. knowing that you're gonna have to prove yourself every day mm-hmm. because they're gonna scrutinize you they question everything that you do your trainers do mm-hmm. because they know what's at stake and so it's really stressful like not only are you thinking of the safety of the aircraft but you're also like wondering if this person thinks i'm doing a good job yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean and so yeah so there's just a lot of i think yeah training is probably one of the most stressful parts of the job so because you are scrutinized um you know we're talking about it and uh, we're also you're articulating that it is stressful but like yeah. do you enjoy <laughs> it is there... yes i actually do i know i, I don't want to scare people away yeah, i think yeah. like i i remember talking to a nurse while uh-huh. my daughter was in the NICU because she had something like in the beginning of her birth that she had difficulty with and they were just just cradle killing her you know what I mean like because they had to do all these tests and they couldn't do this one thing where they had to stick a needle in her and they just couldn't do it like I went to go eat lunch because I was getting so stressed out from hearing her cry right when I came back from lunch they're still doing it to like this newborn baby and I was like I went in there, I was like, you guys have to stop. You guys have to get somebody that can do this. Because mm. I'm not going to let you guys do this to me. Mm. And I remember losing it on them. And later on, like, I think a couple of days later, I met the same the nurse we met again. And I was like, I'm sorry. I had to apologize to her. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I know this job is stressful for you. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So she happened to know that I was an air traffic controller because we had talked to her earlier. Mm-hmm. I was like, this looks way more stressful like my job honestly is like you have disgruntled parents yelling at you you're trying to do your job um no like i said it's it's very gratifying Mm -hmm. um, knowing that yeah like how many lives and how many people you're responsible for Mm -hmm. on these flights and being able to do a good job of course like Air traffic controllers only get in the spotlight when something bad happens. Like nobody yeah. pats you on the back for doing a good job. Nobody knows about it because <laughs> you did a good job. You know yeah, I, mean? I guess that's good news. No news is good news, right? Yes, no news <laughs> is good news. But there are like, I mean, I think we have a really good group of guys here, mm. uh, my coworkers, where we we do acknowledge, hey man, that was really good. Like that was awesome. We're able to acknowledge when somebody does a good job. We also make fun of somebody who has a really bad job yeah because we want them to get better and like that was embarrassing you could <laughs> like we will point out those things 
But I think, yeah, it's like I said, there's only 14,000 people in the, in our, in the U.S. that can do this job. And being able to know that you're one of those people, um, I don't know. The, the job is, yeah, there's a lot of satisfaction with the job. No, it really does sound like there would be, especially after all of that training, all that scrutiny, and it just really paying off, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, are there a lot of women in air traffic control? Yeah, uh, that's another thing. I think more women should apply. Mm. And we do have a group of women at our facility. Mm-hmm. There's still not as much, of course, it's very male-dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, everybody should try it. I mean, this is just a field that you won't know until you try it. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Um, as you're talking, I was thinking about, um, do you feel like there are characteristics or qualities about yourself that make you a better air traffic controller? Like, do you know, like, um, this is a very minor example, but like, I don't know, like, it sounds kind of like a video game, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, I, it, you can see it like that, especially in the radar room. You uh-huh. just see, like, aircraft coming in. You have all the information, like, so it is kind of like figuring out, it's, it's critical thinking and problem solving, right? Mm-hmm. Like, figuring out, okay, who's number one, who's two, and how do you make that happen, all right? Right. And so it is, I mean... Yeah, I would say I've heard that before. A lot of people think people who play a lot of video games can be good at it. Mm. I think I think I know people who would be bad at it. Probably bad drivers. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, like if you can't foresee that, you should probably stop a little earlier. Uh, you know I mean, like yeah. there's a lot of you have to anticipate and be able to foresee. Okay, this probably isn't a good idea. Mm. I'm not gonna do that. Um, that's, I don't know, that's, people with, who don't have good awareness is probably not a good thing for them, because mm-hmm. you, you need to have a good mental picture and figure out, okay, yeah, you kind of have to be a few steps ahead. If I do this, this should happen. Right. And then if it doesn't work out, you should probably be quick to understand that, okay, I need to hurry up and get out of this. Like, oh, man. This, this job is not for me obviously <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know how you're driving in for your no my driving's okay just i get i just like just high stress i just get really flustered but okay. um so yeah I, I yeah that's another good character good characteristic somebody that's good under pressure yeah somebody that's yeah. good under pressure because yeah i've seen people get psyched up even before something is gonna happen like because you do get you knew how many inbounds you have uh-huh, uh-huh. an hour. And so, like, I've seen trainees get psyched out before it even occurs. You know what I mean? Like, sure, yeah. Like, oh, they see all these airplanes coming in. I'm like, oh. Yeah. They oh, my gosh. already psyched themselves out. And so, yeah, get under pressure. what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, like, yeah, that's crazy to me. Just to think <laughs> about having to manage but then i would imagine people that are good at this job would truly find like just get an adrenaline rush too yes i think that's important yeah like you have to channel it in a positive way you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and i think that's people like i know the the popular word these days is grit and Mm -hmm. i think that is a very important characteristic to have like well, if you had a bad session, like I said, all right, well, I'm going to prove to everybody that I can do it, mm. but I'm going to do a better job the next time. Mm. Those are just one bad session. Do you know what I mean? You can't yeah. dwell, dwell on that. You just have to be like, all right, hey, I'm ready. Let's get in. And I think that's one of the good characteristics of a trainee because I'm starting to train people now too, being in the job for you. And I really like it when somebody's like, all right, can we jump in? Can mm. we? They see the traffic come in and it's like, I, I want to get a piece of this. Like, I want to get better. And I think that's like a very important characteristic. Like, complacency is probably not a good thing. And I think that's something that I've seen good controllers do while I was training. Mm. And so I kind of wanted to 
emulate that yeah. while I was training. I was like, okay, yeah, there's only one way of getting better. Iron sharpens iron, right? I have to get my butt kicked and then figure out, okay, this is what I did wrong. Probably do this, try this. Yeah. Get better at it. That's like just good advice all around. Whether yes, traffic yes. control. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like grit, like I said, yes. that's, that's just a good characteristic overall. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day too for the podcast and yeah, that was their advice too. Just do better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. But um we are coming up on our hour together, but um I have like I I feel like I could talk for longer. However, <laughs> um I was wondering before we end our time, is there any advice that you would give somebody that maybe is thinking about air traffic control or um or and just any advice in general um yeah i'd say we need more more air traffic controllers there's a shortage of air traffic controllers mm-hmm. and that's why they're hiring so many people um so i would definitely say if you are interested i'll give my info to blair mm-hmm and you can definitely reach out to me. I'm always really excited when I see another Asian air traffic controller. Oh yeah, so they're not they're not a lot of Asian. No, no. I am like the second Asian to ever set foot in this facility. <gasps> yeah, we and need more Asian American yeah, yeah. air traffic controllers. Yeah. I feel like it's just again. I think a lot of people of, would be good. Yeah, and I just feel like lack it's, of exposure. Like no one. Yes, thinks, like I said, like. I think my biggest regret is not finding out earlier. Like mm-hmm. I see like there's like 21, 22 year old kids. Like mm-hmm. I call them kids now. <laughs> I'm working side by side to them. And I'm like, wow, I wish I would have found out about this job way earlier. Right. Like they're, they're set. Like I said, it's a well-paying job. Mm-hmm. There's good benefits because you're a government employee. You retire early. We have a retirement age of fifty-six. Oh, that's super because, early. <laughs> because of the because of the stress and the mental capacity that you need to be able to do the job. Right, right. So they have an early retirement age, um, and so there also is a uh, age requirement. You have to be thirty and younger to apply mm. to the job because the work your career span is so short. So they require you to be thirty or younger to get hired um so but yeah i definitely tell too late for this job yeah <laughs> and that's why like i said like i i think there's like some of my friends i really think they could have been i think they'd be pretty good at it mm. i mean I, of course there's no telling but i wish they would have had at least the opportunity to pursue it yeah absolutely yeah and so yeah whoever is interested like i said it's it's well, it pays well. Other than the shift work and the training, I think it's a great job. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for just sharing your story and also telling us more about air traffic control. I have learned so much from our time together. So thanks again, no, Jay. Thank you. Thanks, Blair. Um, thanks guys for listening today I hope you enjoyed our episode um, If, like Jay said if you have any questions about air traffic control uh, feel free to reach out to podcastwigu at gmail.com that's W-I-G-U 